Right, hello everyone. Welcome to OT with DA and DC. Yes. This is uh, day 14 of our 75-day challenge, reading through Ellen White's amazing Old Testament uh, book, one of two Old Testament books that she wrote in the Conflict of the Ages series, titled Patriarchs and Prophets. And uh, my name is Pastor David Ashrick. I'm the DA part of OT with DA. This is my good friend, D. Casper. D. Casper. There we go. Um, and I guess you would be the DC part of OT with DA and DC. That's true. That's you. Yeah. Um, so welcome. We're glad you're here. See some people signing on there. Hello from Indio, California. I know where that's at. I've been there. Hello, Cassandra. Hello, Michelle. Hannah. Hannah Banana. Good to see you. Oh, she doesn't like it when you say Hannah Banana. I'm sorry, Hannah. Apologies there. Hello, Evan. I don't know how to pronounce that one. T-N something quilt bug? Chattaboogie. Chattaboogie, okay. All right, hello everybody. Great to see you. We had a supplemental session earlier today. Dee was not with us for that session because he went on a hike. I did. You went on a amazing. hike where? Uh, I don't even know. It was amazing though. Castlewood Canyon. Yes, that's where. That's and you went with uh, Violetta and yes. it was enjoyable? We didn't get lost. I hiked in a t-shirt in the snow. In, in the Colorado in, in January. It was amazing. Okay. Yeah, it's great. So you had a lovely time on a hike. We just ate a great big amazing meal that my wife made. Quinoa, what did we have? Quinoa loaf, Brazil nut gravy, um, help me out corn. here. Corn. Uh, yeah, corn. Potato wedges. Potato wedges. Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts. Good ones A too. great big salad. Oh, and beets. Oh, yeah. Yeah, did you eat some of the beets? I, I, I'm not a beet. You're not a beet guy? Oh, it's man. In What's juice, wrong with you? Everything. No, great. All right. We are today in chapter 13. We're now in the teens, right? We're in the, what do they call the teens? The, the terrible teens, right? I think, that's, I think that has to do with children. Um, though our, the, neither of our boys ever went through the terrible teen phase, but we are now in the terrific teens. There you go. I like that better. Chapter 13. This is a big one. And by big, I mean huge. And by huge, I mean enormous. And by enormous, I mean gargantuan. Huge gamungus. This thing is huge. Yes. And so we are looking forward to this. We've been um, sort of talking back and forth about it a little bit all day. I'll be honest with you, on the OT with DAs, and, and this was really hard to get Jen to not do, but I don't like to do a lot of talking with my guests beforehand because I want it to just be totally organic and just to come out as it comes out. But Jen always wanted to say, hey, what do you think? Of, and you're a little bit that way too, D. It's just too, ex you, just, you just can't. You can't resist talking about it. And you didn't stop me. <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, speaking of stopping, we have clicked every clickable, <laughs> touchable yes. Yes. button on this phone. Airplane mode, do not disturb mode. Call forwarding. Call forwarding and Wi-Fi calling is off. If that phone rings, there are demons in this room and pray for us. <laughs> yeah. If the phone yes. rings during this session, yeah. that's demonic possession. Yes. I'm going to have to get a new phone. Yes. Because everything yeah. that can be touched has been touched. Yes. And so now let's not test it, okay? Do, if you have my phone do number... Do not call us. Yeah, don't test Please. it. Let's just see Please. if it actually works. So right. hopefully the, uh, the uh, sound doesn't drop out. And also the supplemental session today with Dr. Anthony Bosman went amazing. It's already uploaded on my YouTube channel. Even though it was just over two hours, it was like two hours and three minutes, the time will fly by. Trust me on that one. And it was a great conversation about God, math, science, nature, 
faith, the limits of human knowledge. I mean, it was a fascinating conversation. Definitely one to watch probably more than once. I'm actually going to go back and watch it. And I was a part of the conversation because right. he said some things I was like, oh, I got I to gotta write that down somewhere. That's a, that's a sermon. I got to write mm. that down. So, all right, D, great to have you with us. We're in chapter 13 of Patriarchs and Prophets. Why don't you open with prayer? And then I'll close when we're, when we're finished. All right, let's pray. Sweet Jesus, thank you for this privilege to study. Uh, what a powerful and convicting and challenging chapter. Our mm -hmm. time is limited, so mm -hmm. just give us the ability to manage our time wisely. And I pray that what we need to hear and what others need to hear would be what shines forth off of this page. Amen. And we ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. I've got my Patriarchs and Prophets here. I've got my Bible. As I've already said several times, we're in chapter 13 titled, what's it called? The Test of Faith. The Test of Faith. Yesterday was Abraham and Canaan. And here we are. This is another good long chapter. I don't think it was yeah. quite as long as yesterday's, but a it good chapter. But it's pretty... And um, I did the same thing, D, that I often do, where I just sort of itemized the, the, you know, basically what the chapter covers. So I saw this as basically covering five things. Number one, the situation with Sarah and Hagar, which we'll talk about, and Ishmael, of course. That's number two, Ishmael. Uh, number three, and this is the lion's share of the chapter, really, is the offering of Isaac. Yeah. And then she sort of concludes in two ways. She does kind of a New Testament summary of many of the passages that refer to Abraham and his faith. Yeah. And then finally, she, as she often does, she, she zooms way out, pans way out, and gives us this cosmic perspective yeah. of how the near sacrifice of Isaac looked, not just to the eyes of human beings, but to the angelic sort of universal eye. Yeah. And so those are the five things I got. And with your permission, Dee, we'll just jump right in to the sort of Sarah, Hagar. This is that whole Genesis 16 thing. And yeah. by the way, there's a lot covered here. Genesis 16, Genesis 17, 18 to 20, uh, Genesis 21, 1 to 14, and Genesis 22, 1 to 9. We're not going to read all of those passages, but it starts off in Genesis chapter 16, and let's just talk a little bit about that, and let's see what comes up here. I, I have several observations that I'd like to make, but Dee, I'm going I'm to start with you. Um, what sort of jumps out at you here in this interaction and in Ellen White's description of this interaction with Sarah and Abraham and Hagar? What's going on here? She doesn't... Usually there's kind of like a warm-up introduction. Yeah, there's no warm-up. There's nothing. Right into it's it. Just, it's game time from the get-go. Uh, Last chapter was kind of the warm-up, really, set, setting yes. the stage. For sure. And she kind of like highlights thematically. So she gave like, here's all the text that kind of explained this particular theme, and she does it. And then this chapter, same yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's kind of laying that out. But we do address H H Hagar here briefly. Um, it says at the beginning, the very, very beginning here, the chapter, Abraham had accepted without question the promise of a son. Mm -hmm. The fact that God had promised to provide for him when his wife couldn't have a child, no problem there. I believe you. That, that sounds amazing. Thank you. Yes. But... He did not wait for God to fulfill his word in his own time mm -hmm. and way. And a delay was permitted to test his faith in the power of God, but he failed to endure the trial. Yeah. So God makes a promise. God hasn't shown up when Abraham thinks he should. Sarah thinks it's impossible at this stage. In fact, this is not talked about in this, but in the narrative, 
she says that God has kept me from having a child. Mm. She actually blames God for her barrenness mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. for not keeping his promise. Gotcha. And which can happen to us, right? In our moments of discouragement and not seeing what we want, it can be easy in our human defaulted flesh yes. to kind of take it out on God for not getting what we think we should get. Yeah. And um, so then, you know, Sarah basically says, well, just marry my handmaid and have a kid with her. And uh, at the end of that first paragraph, it says, Abraham's marriage with Hagar resulted in evil, not only to his own household, but to future generations. And it reminds me of this amazing but convicting quote in Faith and Works 45, where Ella White says that when God lets man have his own way, it's the darkest hour of his life. Mm. And that'll happen again with Lot in the next chapter. But it's, it's, it's heartbreaking and convicting, this idea, because it doesn't just lead to the darkest hour of Abraham's life. Right? It also leads to the darkest hour of many generations to come. A multi-generational holy war is birthed out of this faithless decision. Mm. Right, The whole issue between what's going on in the Middle East with Islam and Christianity and so forth, this all found its origins mm. in a moment of not believing what God has said and trying to do our own thing. And and here we are. So it's it's true what Ella White says here. Yeah, one of the things that jumped out at me was that phrase there, but he failed to endure the trial. And I just underlined the phrase, but he failed. Yeah. And I think we have to remind ourselves that even in the midst of this, you know, and we're giving a very glowing report, as we did yesterday, yeah. of Abraham, of his character, of his person. But Abraham was not perfect. He still right. needed a savior. And in the midst, even of his... Um, you know, by the standards and within the community and context in which they lived, even by those standards, and he was a good man, he still failed in this regard. And a little bit later in the chapter, she literally writes this sentence. I mean, it's the most obvious sentence, but these things sometimes need to be said. She simply says, Abraham was human. Yeah. She says it. Abraham was human, and I'm very much of the opinion that Abraham's humanity and his inclination to not follow uh, best practice is on display in this particular story because, and Ellen White makes this clear and the text makes this clear, this is not Abraham's idea. I mean, she literally says, she literally says, Sarah suggested it as a plan and it's even stronger in the, in the biblical narrative. She literally says, here, take my hand, like take her. She's, she's almost kind of foisting uh, Hagar into Hab- and you get the sense that Abraham's like, uh, uh, what do I do here? Yeah. And he reluctantly capitulates. Yeah, you know, that po- I'll let you make your point. You're no, right no, I was just going to say that that it's. I think it's very important to. Now, I have suggested, and I've gotten a little bit of pushback on this, but to me, it just possesses tremendous explanatory power. That it's at least conceivable. I think it's likely, and I'm not dogmatic about this, but I think it's at least conceivable that even though they didn't understand all of what we today obviously understand about biology and modern medical knowledge and the things that we know, they knew that it took a man and it took a woman in order to make a baby. They knew this. This was understood. And they also knew that it, it didn't necessarily have to be the woman's side of the you know, biological arrangement that was falling short. And so I would like to suggest that part of what Sarah is doing here is a kind of science experiment, mm-hmm. right? And that science experiment looks like this. Remove this variable. Remove this variable. variable. You mm-hmm. sleep with my handmaiden. You wed her. You bed her. And then if she doesn't get pregnant, we'll now know that the onus of the, uh, the, the childlessness that we're experiencing is not on me. It's actually on you. And, and this possesses such tremendous explanatory power. It never says that expressly in the text, but... To my reading, it's hinted all throughout, 
And then when Hagar does get pregnant, the despising and the, what she calls the mutual jealousies that go back mm. and forth make so much sense, right? Because Hagar is really one of the big victims in this whole story, right? Like you, you can't help but feel no. really sorry for Hagar because she gets the short end of the stick over and over again. And she might have even sensed that she was just kind of a tool to try and adjudicate an argument between two people who were trying to have a baby very late in life. And so here, sleep with her, knowing that the expectation perhaps is that she wouldn't get pregnant. When she does, then she has this haughty, proud, you know, now she's the queen of the house and the whole thing gets really messy really quick. Yeah. And it doesn't get much better. So eventually, um, Sarah says, get her out of here, right? Right. Make her go. And Which also makes sense. Like she yeah. doesn't, th- this is a continual rebuke, yeah. as it were, to her biology, to her barrenness. But in fact, it's really not about Sarah's barrenness. It's just more about them trusting and believing and clinging to a promise that just wasn't coming to pass in the timetable that they were hoping for. Right. But she can't stand it. Like, get, get her out of here. I can't see her. I don't, right. don't want to see it. And so Abraham... And he struggles with this. He this does. This is hard for him. And he's... At, at 100 years of age, the promise of a son has repeated to him. This is 179. Mm. Uh, the third paragraph in the types and symbols, uh, 146 of the original. Yeah. His mind wants turned to Ishmael, right? He didn't yet understand the promise, um, but his mind turned to Ishmael, hoping that God would do something here. Oh, the Ishmael might live before you. Yeah. And he says, no, Sarah's going to bear you a son. You should call his name Isaac. Um, and I'm going to establish a covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. Hmm. Okay? Now, I will bless him. God didn't leave that prayer unanswered, she says. Well, he was, God, a, he was a child of Abraham. Right. And I so mean, this is Abraham's son, right. well and truly Abraham's right. son. It's legitimately his, but it's not the child of promise. Correct. It's the child of human provision, not godly provision. I think we talked about this this morning when we weren't supposed to talk about it, this idea of kind of the... <laughs> we broke the rules. We did. Um, but the profane fire idea, right? That, yeah. that he was doing something through means that God had not endorsed, kind of like the profane fire of uh, Nadab and Abihu. And so, but God does say, I will still bless him, but he's not the blessing. Correct. And then it just keeps moving. And so then to the very bottom of that page, it says, the birth of Isaac bringing after a lifelong waiting, mm. the fulfillment of their dearest hopes, filled the tents of Abraham and Sarah with gladness. Wow. Can't you just see that in your oh, mind's eye? Beautiful. I mean, and just wait and wait and wait and wait. And then finally there's provision. The issue is that, you know, once... Uh, the child is born. Then you have Ishmael mocking that child. Ishmael's like right. 13 or 14. He's right. mocking that child. Then he really has to go. And God says it's true. He and, does. and Ishmael here is, is a victim as well. He's in yeah. a bad situation because up until the birth of Isaac, everybody assumes, the whole household, the whole encampment of Abraham is assuming and treating Ishmael like he is the heir. Right. Right. And all of a sudden you go from an heir to, to the heir, to a has-been, yeah. to a nobody, to an also-ran. And, and, you know, we just jumped so quickly to the birth of Isaac, but I, I just want to throw out there that when, when Hagar fled the first time and God appears to her and says, look, go back and submit yourself to... Know your role. And it sounds a little rough to us, like go back into that difficult situation, yeah. but the alternative is likely death here. Yeah. Right? A single woman with a young child on her own in the desert, doesn't even have water to drink. I mean, it's basically swallow your pride and go back. I know it's tricky. And at the end of the day, all I can think is Abraham has to be, he would have had daily reminders that all of this in-house trauma, all of this drama 
was a direct result of his lack of faith and his poor decision-making. Yeah. So anyway, I, I just think it yeah. uh, numerous times in the margin of this chapter, especially early on, I just wrote messy, yeah. messy, messy. Because you think about it like we were just saying. You know, Ishmael is Abraham's son. Right. He would have treated him like his son. He would have loved him like his son. He would have thought that this is the one through whom all these great promises are going to happen. Yeah, and, and it's so disappointing to him how things are going to go. It reminds me of the situation with Adam and Eve. Like, they have a promised son who they're told is going to crush the serpent's head. Right. And, and the first son they have... Crushes their brother's head. Yeah, he his murders his head. brother. Right. And this disappointing misunderstanding of, I thought that this is how you would provide, because the promise and their understanding that a promise would be fulfilled was true, but yes. how it went about happening or how it came about was not what they expected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so our disappointment can be um, about the promises of God, can be based upon our misunderstanding on how it would come about, mm. not because God didn't do what he would say uh, or what he said he would do. Yeah. And so Abraham's told the child's got to go. He obeys the angel's word. This is 180 in types and symbols, the bottom of that first paragraph. He obeyed, but it was not without keen suffering. The father's heart was heavy with unspoken grief as he sent away Hagar and his son. And... Um, she kind of gives a recap and a transition, but I'm just going to close the next paragraph where it sure. says, Both Abraham and Sarah distrusted the power of God, and it was this error that led to the marriage with Hagar. Correct. And so the, the responsibility doesn't lie with God. It, doesn't, it, it lies with them taking matters into their own hands. Yeah, yeah. It's both Abraham and Sarah's lack of belief, lack of trust. And lack of patience. I, I, yeah. We will see this in the book of Genesis, but one of the, the recurring themes in the book of Genesis is that weak men are led around by strong women. Hmm. That's, a, that's a major motif yeah. in the book of Genesis where men who should have known better... And, and by the way, of course, Moses, in, just incidentally, Moses as the author of Genesis... It's Judges too. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Moses as the author of Genesis is himself quite familiar with what it is to accommodate uh, something that your wife wants that God has actually given opposite instruction. And, and this is at least the second instance of that. We've already yeah. seen it with Adam and Eve, yeah. right? Uh, Adam was not deceived. Eve was deceived. She leads her. By the way, this is not a commentary to suggest that, that there's some uh, war here against women or any su such thing, but only to say that clearly what's happening here is, is that Sarah made the suggestion, and Abraham should have kindly, sweetly, in a marital way, but he should have rebuffed the suggestion. Right. He we just should have that. said no. But yeah. the fact that he doesn't, and tell me if you're with me on this, D, the fact that he doesn't, I think, is at least as much a lack of faith, or at least as much it is just how saturated that culture was in polygamy as it was a lack of faith. It was just yeah. like, oh, well, we have other ways to do this. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, we'll just take another wife and we'll sort that out. And he, in other words, we can sometimes retrospectively read this and think, oh, well, you know, Ishmael was kind of a quasi-son. Not in Abraham's mind. No. In Abraham's yeah. mind, this is my son. And this this is, is the one. And that's a theme in this chapter of using vehicles or doing things that the world accepted as being okay that God would not. Correct. That's, this, that's the first time that's mentioned in this chapter or shown. Obviously, the sacrifice of Isaac is another Great one. Great point. That, that, Great point. That theme is in this chapter. That's very yeah. Proverbs 14, 12, right? There's a way that seems right to a man, but the yeah. end thereof is death. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. a great book. I, I just have to throw this out very quickly. This is a, a little point I want to make. I actually called Jennifer. I was so excited about this point. I called her up today. said, Jen, I saw something really interesting. So I'm just going to spend 60 seconds on this. And if you get it, great. And if you don't, that's okay. But just on that same page, 180, 147 of the original pagination, 
right in the middle of the page, it says, um, the Lord through a holy angel directed him to grant Sarah's desire. His love for Ishmael or Hagar ought not to stand in the way. Now listen to this. For only thus could he restore harmony and happiness to his family. Mm -hmm. And when I read that harmony and happiness, only through this lose-lose situation, I immediately thought of Adam and Eve. And I, I said it to D. I was like, D, this is just like Adam and Eve. And we talked about this in our supplemental session with Jen, how Adam and Eve were created the ontological equals, and they weren't functionally identical, but there was no, in my strong opinion, no functional hierarchy, right? There was this equality. But then after sin, she says, the harmony between the pair could only be maintained by the submission of one to the other. And this is lose-lose. Right. Now, I, now, just hear me out on this very quickly. The temptation is to say, oh, wait a minute, the subordination of the woman to the man is a win for the man and a lose for the woman. Oh, no, oh, no. It's lose-lose because not only is Eve now, her, your desire shall be for your husband, it's also a lose for Adam. It's a heavy burden for him. Number one, it's a heavy yeah. burden for him. And number two, you think that what he lost was basically a formidable partner mm -hmm. that was in every sense his equal. Mm -hmm. And it, like imagine losing a best friend and gaining you know, a child. Well, that's a totally different kind of relationship and yet this lose-lose, she says, a, lose for a loss for Adam and a loss for Eve, she says, was the only way that harmony could be maintained. Yeah. Well, think about this situation. I'll read it again. Only thus, through the expulsion of Hagar and uh, Ishmael, only thus could he restore harmony and happiness to his family. Well, this is lose-lose-lose. Because lose, lose. Right. it's a loss for Hagar. She's the victim here. Yeah. right? It's a loss for uh, Ishmael. He's a victim here. It's a loss for Abraham his and son's gone. his son's yeah. gone. Yeah. So it's just such a, a, a great point and such a great illustration that often we place ourselves into precarious situations and predicaments where there is no win-win. It's the only way to get to an eventual win is through a lose-lose compromise situation. It happened at the fall and it's happening here. This is a win for exactly nobody. Yeah. Maybe you could say it's a win for Sarah or Isaac. But yeah. yeah, or maybe Isaac, but even there, Sarah and Isaac are going to miss out on the opportunity to be magnanimous, to be understanding, to be forgiving. No, this is easy for them now. Okay, they're out of sight, out of mind. Let's get on with our thing. And I I hate the way that Hagar and Ishmael become almost just like also rands in the story. They're afterthoughts. And it, they're yeah. afterthoughts. Yeah. And it all stinks and it hurts my yeah. heart because these are people. And the the decision that was made was a faithless decision that leads to a lose, lose, lose situation. And I think we need to point that out. It's just too easy sometimes to just hasten by in the biblical narrative. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's a life that was, you know, ruined. That's a life that was compromised. That's a life that was lost. But let's get on with the story. No, this was a bad situation. Yeah. It was messy on every side. And many generations suffered as a result. Exactly. And that's your point. I love yeah. your point about that. Um, so both Abraham and Sarah distrusted the power of God, and it was this error that led to the marriage with Hagar. And the close of 180, God had called Abraham to be the father of the faithful, and his life was to stand as an example to succeeding generations, yeah. which is why this is so problematic. But his faith had not been perfect. Mm. This is now 181 at the top or 148 of the original. He had shown distrust of God in concealing the fact that Sarah was his wife, yeah. and again in his marriage with Hagar, that he might reach the highest standard, <laughs> God subjected him to another test. 
And what I'm so thankful for is that God gives additional opportunities. And the tests get harder and harder. They do. And we're going to see that actually here at the bottom of that page. Where she says that Abraham was the father of the faithful. I literally wrote, look at this. He's also the father of the faithless. <laughs> it's true. I, mean, I just wrote it in my margin. <laughs> it's like, yeah. even the faithless can look to Abraham and be like, well, what about, and yeah. what about, yeah. And God's like, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. That, but, the, the, the text records right. that he did not always exercise, as Ellen White says, you know, perfect faith. Yeah. And so he's subjected to another test, and then she goes to qualify that, the most rigorous which man was ever called to endure. And in the vision of the night, he's given uh, this call to go to the land of Moriah mm. and there offer up his son. Now, both are his son, but specifically the, the, the promised son, Isaac, as a burnt offering on the mountain that should be shown him. Mm. And it reminds me of this idea of his original call. He doesn't even know where he's going, Right? To the land that I will show you, yeah. the yeah, sacrifice that's, is going to happen. That's got echoes of the original call. It does. Yeah. It's to a land that I'm going to show you. And so she, in the second paragraph, halfway through, one in the vigor of manhood may with courage meet difficulties and afflictions that would cause his heart to fail later in life when his feet are faltering toward the grave. But God had reserved his last, most trying test for Abraham until the burden of years was heavy upon him yeah. and he longed for rest from anxiety and toil. I don't want any more of this. Mm. I'm done. I'm too old for this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the, the bottom of the third paragraph, heaven seemed to have crowned with its blessing a life of sacrifice in patient endurance of hope deferred. Hope deferred. He's rich. He has all these blessings. And it's, that, that's quoting Proverbs 13, 12, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Yeah, that's right. But when the desire comes, is a tree of life. And then she gives these tears of difficulty that Abraham went through in life and how this is the most difficult. And I had this kind of play on words that came to my mind when I read this. Okay. The, in the obedience of faith, Abraham had forsaken his native country, had turned away from the graves of his fathers and the home of his kindred. That was hard. Yeah, fair enough. The next thing, he had wandered as a stranger in the land of his inheritance. That was also hard. You've promised it, but it's not mine. I'm mm -hmm, just window mm -hmm. shopping. He had waited long for the birth of the promised heir. That was harder. And at the command of God, he sent away his son Ishmael, which is really hard. So there's kind of these increasing tears of it's, difficulty. Yeah, that's a great point. And then she says, And now, when the child so long desired was entering upon manhood, and the patriarch seemed able to discern the fruition of his hopes, a trial greater than all others was before him. And that's the worst. Yeah, so this is the, the climax, yeah. the pinnacle of the trials. And I think these tears of difficulty led to weeping tears of difficulty. Like, this is the hardest and the worst that he's going to have to face. These T-I-E-R-S -E -E led yeah. to T-E-A-R-S. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Oh, that's really good, D. Yeah, write that down. By oh, the way, Hannah I mean, had this great I point did. where she said that Abraham's faith was consistent but not continuous. Ooh. That's great. Yeah. Hannah, exactly. That's great, great language. Consistent but not continuous. Not uninterrupted. Not absolutely perfect. Right. And we still remember him as the father of the faithful. Yeah, we do. But this is a great point you make, D, that there's this like increasing level, these tears of difficulty that will eventually lead to tear, tears yeah. of difficulty. I like that. I and like the that way that God gives him this specific command is phrased the same way. So he says, take now, and in the original language it reads in this particle of entreaties is what the Andrew Study Bible says. So he basically says, take, I pray thee, or take please mm -hmm. your son. So at least God has... It's like a you know, request. Yeah. So at least, you know, he's got the courtesy to say, please. Please do this. Yeah. Even though it's hard. But listen to what he says. Take now your son. Now, that's hard. Yeah. Your, your only, only son. son. Yeah, that's way harder because he's the only one I've got. 
And, and this is how God views him, interestingly, your only son, when he has another son, Ishmael. Yeah, this is a comment about Ishmael. Yeah, but this is a comment about specifically with Isaac, that this is the real one, right? Take your son, your only son, Isaac, and then he says, whom you love. Hmm. As a dad, each thing that God asks of Abraham is more difficult than the yeah. thing he just said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the offer him there is a burnt offering. So there's even tears of difficulty in the command that God gives him. Take your son, he's your only son, by the yes. way, Isaac, and Whom by the love. way, you love him, Beautiful. and you need to offer him. And it's difficult. She basically says, if you lost this son in an accident, it would be bad, but to take the life yourself is unthinkable. Yeah. unthinkable. Yeah. The, the, the picture that she paints here is one in which this trial comes to Abraham when he's 120 years old, and she has those two or three paragraphs there on page 181 where she describes uh, 148 of the original pagination. He's basically old and prosperous. Yeah. I mean, he's, he, is, he is beginning his descent, you know. Yeah. How she, I think she even says, like, tottering for the grave or something like that. Like, she uses this very interesting language that, you know, he does not have the vigor and energy of youth. Yeah. He, he's loving his patriarchal lifestyle. He's hanging out in, you know, the oak groves of, of Mamre. And he's got flocks and he's servants. got servants and yeah. he's got you know this encampment she paints this beautiful picture and at that stage in his life like in the golden years mm. uh, what are i'm told the happiest years in a person's life right like in those sort of 50 to the end of your life that yeah. apparently can be extremely enjoyable if you're surrounded by family members and friends because yeah. you, you have so many memories and you just have you're surrounded like today in the house that we were in d when i was upstairs studying there's just all these kids downstairs and there's yeah. laughing and there's noise and somebody's playing the ukulele and that sound mm. as, as a father does so much for me just to hear the sound of joy, the sound of youth, the sound of happiness. Yeah. Whenever I'm in a church and I hear the, the sound of children making noise mm. and jibber jabbering and even a baby crying, I never think to myself anything other than that's the sound of the future. Yeah. That's the sound of joy, you know? Yeah. It's just such a beautiful thing, and that's a, that's the season that Abraham's in is in in his life here. And what happens? Oh yeah, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. What? And he's waited what? a long time for this specific promise. So like mm. this adds a whole another level of difficulty because you know enjoying your retirement years is one thing, but you finally got what you hadn't gotten for so long. Yes, and that's the thing God has the audacity yeah, to ask for. Correct. It's soul-crushing. So she makes this next point in, in 182, the second paragraph, that this is overwhelming to him, and Satan suggests to him God would never ask such a thing. Yeah. You're crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we're going to come back to that. But these are allusions even to Gethsemane um, of the sufferings of Jesus, the fact that Satan tries to talk him out of it and convince him. Just before you get into that second paragraph, the last line of the yeah. first paragraph on page 182, 148 of the original is yeah. amazing. Yeah. It seemed to him a fearful impossibility. Yeah. I think the juxtaposition of those two words is perfect because fearful is an emotional word. Yeah. And then impossibility is just a logistical word. Word. You know, I just like the, the juxtaposition there. Like a fearful, it, it must have sounded so ridiculous, yeah. so absurd, so irrational, so unthinkable that Abraham tries to talk himself out of it. Right. And then, as you're suggesting, Satan's right there to say, no, 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 no. Yeah. That was a sound in the wind. You know, you misheard it. It was just a. But he just has this sense. No, this. This is the thing that Yahweh is asking me to do. He doesn't know where to put it. There's nowhere to put it. Right. But he just has this deep, unavoidable conviction. This is the thing I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And 
in this moment, we go back to Genesis 15 because Abraham, he's, he's discouraged. He's overwhelmed by the pressure he's dealing with. Mm. And when he's overwhelmed with the pressure of what was the future may hold, God says, I'm your exceedingly great reward. Uh, I don't know, right? And then he promises him, look at the stars. Come outside, look at the stars. My promise to you hasn't changed. Where does Abraham go when he's overwhelmed? Where God spoke to him in Genesis yeah, 15. Same, same. Yeah. He goes outside, he looks at the stars, and if this promise was fulfilled through Isaac, how could he be put to death? Abraham was tempted to believe, this is the middle of the second paragraph on 182, if... Uh, if he must perform? Yeah, if this promise was to be fulfilled through Isaac, how could he be put to death? Abraham was tempted to believe that he might be under a delusion. Correct. And in his doubt and anguish, he bowed upon the earth, and he prayed as he had never prayed before mm. for any form of confirmation so that he could be released from this terrible duty. Mm. And he remembers, well, God sent angels before to encourage me. Will he do it again yeah. here? Maybe this will happen here. Hoping to meet them again and receive further direction, but none came to his relief. Yeah, mercy. So he's hoping for the same experience of Genesis 15, and he gets the silence of God. And the only thing he found was the command of God sounding in his ears, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, Mercy. whom you love. And the command must be obeyed, and he dared not delay. And he begins the process. Mm. He goes to Sarah's. He goes to see the tent of his son. That's a really touching paragraph oh, where she man. talks about you know going in and being next to Sarah and seeing his son. Uh, I mean that's just and he, very very well communicated. Yeah. And I just wrote in the margin touching scene with Sarah. Oh. because he's he's damned if he does and he's damned if he doesn't. Right? He can't wake her up. No, because she literally says a mother's love might refuse the sacrifice. Mm. Well, you, you better believe it. But he longed to unburden his heart to her. I need to talk to somebody about this. And, and God wasn't answering when he prayed. Yeah, exactly. And I can't tell my son. And I can't even tell my wife. So he's right. bearing this, this burden This is all alone. internal. It's all, all that weight, him. Which is another allusion to Gethsemane. Bearing yeah, all yeah. that yeah, yeah, weight yeah. internally. I like the fact that you keep sort no of teasing out these Gethsemane uh, uh, similarities. That's good. Because that's where this chapter is going, is the sufferings of Jesus. And there's allusions here that he's bearing the weight alone. She says in Desire of Ages, Jesus was longing for human... She says, the human heart longs for sympathy and suffering. That's right. And this Christ felt to the very depths of his Obviously, being. Yeah, that's right. And Abraham's feeling that. He's bearing that weight. And so he gets his servants, he grabs his son. They've done sacrifices before. It's not that confusing. Yeah, he's like, okay, yeah, let's get going. And so they go. This is page 183, and they journey in silence. Yeah. This is the second paragraph. The patriarch, pondering his heavy secret, he had no heart for words. He couldn't talk. He couldn't tell them. And kids, kids are so perceptive. I mean, how old is Isaac at this point? He's a teenager, yeah. some stripe. We don't know. Could have been yeah. in his early teens or his late teens. But... Teenagers are extremely perceptive. I know because I have two teenage boys, and they pick up on stuff quick smart. And so he would have detected that this was more than just, you know, a little fatigue from mm -hmm. a short night's rest or something. Something's weighing on him. Something that. is weighing on him. You can just yeah. you can tell when you're in the yeah. presence of somebody that's that has a, a burden. They're weighed down. Something is wrong. Mm. And so Isaac doesn't, you know, broach the silence because there's this, you know, dad's dad, and yeah. you know, I mean to give him his space. And Abraham can't even bring himself to say anything because he knows if he says anything or asks anything, he's going to hear the voice. I imagine Abraham's out front. As they're hiking, she says side by side, but I just, like, I just think he can't, he doesn't want to think about what's happening. And he has three impossibly difficult days on the journey oh, there. They're excruciating. Just, just looking for yeah. even a hint of a hint of a hint that, oh, this is all a misunderstanding. We're going to call the thing off. God reveals to him, hey, you've come this far. Nothing. Nothing. I mean, just, just 
Dead si- I, I recently tweeted I, uh, a tweet that I just sent out, or actually it wasn't me that sent it out, but Allie for the uh, Arise account sent out this tweet, or maybe it was the Lightbearers account, that, that God may be silent, but he is never deaf. Yeah. He hears, but he doesn't always answer to our satisfaction. And I was really surprised. There was this dear sister that reached out to me and was like, what are you talking about? Whenever we speak to God, he, he speaks to us. And all I could think to myself was, have you not read the Bible? I mean, <laughs> yeah. like... There are so yeah. many cases in the silence not just, of God is everywhere. The silence yeah. of God is yeah. everywhere, and yeah. not just in in you know sacred history. In my own experience, yeah. I have called out to God for direction, consolation. Some, yeah. and sure, there have been literally thousands of times where God has come through. But there have been at least dozens, perhaps hundreds, where I've waited, listened, prayed more earnestly, listened, waited, and I've never, of course, been weighed down with anything analogous to this situation. And yet, the answer isn't there. Yeah. Ah, oh, it's just brutal. It's brutal to think about this experience. That, that's also listed in Desire of Ages. The disciples saw Jesus suffering, and they didn't even ask him why. Yeah. He just suffered alone. But sometimes, yeah. but, but in yeah. fairness to the disciples, and in fairness yeah. to, to, to uh, Isaac in this situation... Powerless. You don't know what to say. You don't know how to fix exactly. it. Exactly. Th- and I'm so afraid of saying the wrong thing. And not even just yeah. that, but... but yeah. It's very disorienting for a child to think that there's a situation or a circumstance that their parents can't handle. Right. So if you see your parents or the person that you look up to, the disciples looked up to Jesus. I mean, they've seen him, you know, stare down demoniacs that rush to him, you know, in ferocity. They have seen him, you know, say exactly the right word in exactly the right way to the religious leaders. I mean, he, the the guy was never, uh, he was, he was perfectly unflappable, always had the right answer. So when they saw him, heading toward Gethsemane. They didn't know where to put this. And I think that's what's happening with Isaac. He just doesn't know how to have any kind of a conversation. He can tell his dad is deeply distressed and troubled, but you just carry along. And he was a teenager. He probably found a stick to start (laughs) smacking things with, as teenagers do. And But when he would pay attention to his dad, it's too hard to think about your parents not doing well, right? To be your your parents, some situation dad can't handle? No, there's no such thing. So they carry on. Yeah, and, and like what Abraham's wrestling with at this stage is how do I tell my wife? Like, I'm, when mm. I come home alone, right, what do I do? And she says that. Well, he knew that the knife would have pierced her heart when it took yeah. the life of her son, not yeah. their son. Yeah. Um, so that jumped out at me as well. So that day, the longest Abraham had ever experienced dragged slowly to its close. He prays all night, doesn't get any answer, yep. and it tortures his soul. Another day, no answers. Um, and while ever the command that was to leave him childless was ringing in his ears. Yeah. And Satan again whispers doubt and unbelief. And um, on the third day, finally, this is the third, fourth, one, two, three, fourth paragraph. Yeah, right at the bottom second of 183. As he sees Mount Moriah in the distance, yes. he sees the cloud of God's presence. And that was the promised sign that at least I know you're going to be with me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is still going to be really difficult, but at least I know that you're going to be with me yes. as I go through this. And that, that was a consolation to him. But it took three days to get it. Yeah. Three days of agony. And even now, she says, he doesn't murmur against God. Um, and yeah. So Isaac was a child of a miracle. This is top of 184. Isaac was a child of a miracle. She says he was unexpectedly given. Yeah. And so... Doesn't God have a right to take it is, is one of the things that Abraham's wrestling with. But then also this, this thought comes into Abraham's mind, well, wait a minute. If God provided this child through the means of a miracle, could not God restore him through the means of a miracle? Mm. 
but no resurrection has ever happened at this stage. Yeah, not, not that we know of. There's not, no, there's no, there's no biblical record of it. Yeah, there's no precedent in the text that we have access to that that was even a thing. Um, but I love that you know Hebrews 11 comments on this, concluding that God is able to raise him up even from the dead. That he chose to grasp, he chose to grasp the divine word and believe that God could do that right. if all else failed. That's the only. I mean, there's no other option. If you're asking me to do this, and He's a child of promise, then somehow you're going to make this right. And then she makes this beautiful statement of transition, which is really where the whole chapter is going to go and what it's about. Yet none but God could understand how great was the Correct. Father's sacrifice. That's the punchline. And yielding up his son to death. Yeah, that's the punchline. That's the big transitional statement. And But then he, so he tells the servants, stay here, because he didn't want anybody but God to see this. He doesn't want the... The servants would tackle him and stop him, certainly. <laughs> fair point, fair point. They oh, the old the man's story. lost his mind. Yeah, he's lost his right. mind. Yeah, I got gotcha. And so he doesn't want anyone else to be there. But he tells them, the lad and I are going to go up yonder to worship, and then we, we will come back to you. Right. I mean, has that even worked? Like, one in a body bag and one in... Like, has that even supposed to happen? But what's amazing Especially to me, since he's supposed to be a burnt sacrifice, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's not going not to gonna be, be anything left. But what's amazing to me is that Abraham refers to giving up the most important thing in his life... As worship. As an act of worship... And that heaven would view it as an act of worship, not of duty, not of I have to or obligation, that he's going to do this in a spirit of worship, which is mind-boggling to me. Alicia makes a really great observation here. She says, this chapter began with Abraham doubting, and here he is fully trusting. Man, that's a great yeah. point. Yeah. And, and Alicia, did you notice that uh, she actually compares the, the test that Abraham has to endure here, and I loved your point about the tears of difficulty. She compares it to the test that Adam and Eve had to bear, and it was it was a uh, uh, no, not, not a contest, no analog, yeah. you know, no comparison between That's these right. two. And so, what's remarkable is that this test is a considerably greater test than the one that he had earlier failed. Right, basically. So I like the idea that even if we fail, even if we fall, it doesn't mean that our best days are not ahead of us. That's right. Right. We yeah. we. God sees in us what we sometimes can't even see in ourselves, and it's easy to beat yourself up after mm. a fall, after a failure, and say, man, I guess I missed my chance. Yeah. I guess the train left the station without me, and God's like, yeah, no, not necessarily. Let's learn from that. Let's circle back around, and before you know it, you have an even bigger test, an even bigger trial, and if you succeed there, that earlier failure actually becomes a stepping stone, a tear. Yeah to get you to where God's trying to get you. I yeah. We are not the sum total of our cumulative failure, failures because God sees a future for us even when we can't see one for ourselves. Oh, I love that. Woo! Love that. So then he's got to break the news to his son. He doesn't tell him immediately, but the son asks him, like, so um, where's the, you know, where's the, where's the animal? Oh, and she says, what a test was, how does she say uh, yeah. it? What a oh, test was what this. a test was this. How the endearing words my father pierced Abraham's heart, not yet, he could not tell him now. My son, he said, and the unfortunate thing is the way the New King James translate this is different than the way that it actually reads in the original language, that God will provide himself a lamb, yeah, uh, not for himself, but he himself is going to be the lamb. Whether Abraham understands what he's saying or not, it's No, he prophetic. doesn't. I, I often no. say that Abraham here, in, in total despair and hopelessness, is marching up the side of that mountain, preaching the gospel. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's preaching yeah. the gospel. The, the yeah. gospel is that God will provide a lamb himself. Yeah. And he doesn't even know. As it's falling out of his lips, I'd like to think that when he later reflected back 
yeah. on that answer that he just chuckled and laughed and cried tears of joy to himself to say yeah. how right I was. Yeah. How right I was. Wow. I mean, maybe maybe as soon as on the descent down the mountain. Yeah. I mean, what? And oh, anyway, we're gonna get there. We're gonna get yeah. there. Okay. So he breaks the news to him. And he offers no resistance. This is the third paragraph. Isaac yeah. doesn't offer any resistance. She says he could have gotten away, which of course yeah. he could. Abraham's he younger, an old man. He's stronger, young. No sleep for three days. He's old and haggard. But Isaac had three been... Three of the roughest days of his life. For I sure. Mean, it's the worst days of his life. But Isaac had been trained from childhood to ready, trusting obedience. And yes. as the purpose of God was open before him, he yielded a willing submission. And this reminds me of what we talked about last night, this idea that the way in which Abraham managed his home enabled Isaac to follow obediently whenever, if it was a tyrannical home, you beat up dad no, and run. That's right. That's a great point. Make that You, you said yeah. that to me this morning, and I want you to really tease that out. Well, just the idea that the, the home environment in which Abraham had instilled and the type of picture of God that he had given was so attractive and so easy to submit to that even in this situation when dad seems like he's saying something crazy and God may be... It's unthinkable. Yeah, it's... Uh, it, it, like, what would your view of God be if your dad told you, I have to kill you because God told me to? It would be gnarly and terrible were it not for the fact that the Bible refers to Abraham as a friend of God, and that yeah. Abraham raised his son to be a friend of God. And, and, and the, the, the backdrop to all of this, and, and we're, going, we're getting right to the punchline here, the backdrop to all of this, this story makes no sense at all, zero, none, if human sacrifice was not a part, child sacrifice was right. not a part of the larger uh, narrative that's going on there in Canaan. And right. she's already said this on two occasions. Yeah. She's, she's already, in fact, let me just go back and read a section where she refers to, oh, in fact, I turned right there. Look at that, I love it when that happens. So I'm on page 146, and we've already read this, but I want you to hear it now through the ears and through the lens of what we're reading as, as Abraham is making his way up the mountain, and I imagine that at some level he might have been thinking something like this. Now, this is conjecture, but I think it's fairly safe. He might have been thinking something like this. Man, I thought Yahweh was different. Hmm. It just seemed, I mean, 50 years now, 50 plus years I've been traveling with this God. I never thought it would come to this, but I guess that's the way that deities are. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I, I guess this is how it's all going to end. And now listen to this. Bottom of page 146. She says, Satan was seeking to bring contempt upon the sacrificial offerings that prefigured the death of Christ. This is in the Tower of Babel chapter. And as the minds of the people were darkened by idolatry, listen to this, he led them to counterfeit these offerings and sacrifice their own children upon the altars of their gods. Mm -hmm. Okay, counterfeit is exactly the right word. Right. And we're going to get to the punchline here in just a second. But the point is, you hear a lot of people that are like, I don't understand this story. The story makes no sense at all. It's not supposed to make any sense. Oh, yeah. It's supposed to be the most irrational, absurd, unthinkable thing, particularly for us living as we do, you know, post-incarnation, post-crucifixion, post-resurrection. But Abraham doesn't have the luxury that we have. Right. Abraham was living where part of the sort of ambient way, the, the atmosphere of how deities could be worshipped was through this act of supreme devotion, yeah. was child sacrifice, and even though it didn't make sense, this God seemed good, and he seemed just, and he seemed merciful, and he seemed faithful. He was certainly better than the competing deities. 
I just imagine that there must have been some sense of resignation where he thought, well, I, I guess this is just the kind of thing that God's asked for. Mm. So without that backdrop, you're going to have a very difficult time understanding yeah. how it is. And I just want to say one more word about this. We sit here from the catbird seat of, of historical perspective, and we can look back and say, of course, but Abraham didn't have that historical perspective. No. He had not yet seen, as we have seen, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He didn't know. Right. He saw it in dim shadows from Genesis 15, but he doesn't have the luxury that we have. And too often it's easy to read these biblical stories backward before we learn to read them forward. Right. And the only way this story makes sense forward is if Abraham thought, well, I guess this is just one of those things. He, ro he rolls like they roll. He rolls like they roll. And He's I, one of them. And, and something we talked about this morning when we shouldn't have was this idea that <laughs> um, that there, there's a, a Hebrew f way of thinking, this idea of lessons by contrast that you see throughout Scripture. Yes. And that this is what's happening in this scenario, that God is giving a lesson by contrast. You're going forward in something that culturally is seemingly acceptable by the deities, and in contrast, I will show you how I actually work correct. when this swap happens on the top of Mount Moriah. Correct, correct, correct. Um, so we're there? Are we there? Or we're, no? like, we're right on the, on, the, on the borders here. So okay. he was a share of Abram's faith. Uh, she makes that point. And he tenderly seeks to lighten the father's grief. Ah, that's amazing. And binds himself. No, Dad, it's going to be okay. I mean, you're the one getting ready to be sacrificed. He felt honored to be sacrificed, she says. In the last paragraph... Which shows that he also had a misunderstanding. Right. In fact, I can't right. wait to get to my word. I'm going to clarify. When you see my word, you're going to see... I'm not going to say anymore. Right. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Last paragraph of that page, 184. we got to hit the gas here. But And now the words, the last words of love are spoken, the last tears are shed, and the ah, last embrace is given. Mercy. But here's what touched me from this. That's amazing. I believe that this is what the Father and the Son went through before Jesus was incarnated. Correct. That before this... I, in the Council of Peace. Yes. 100%. I, this is Jesus and the Father's interaction in heaven. This is alluded here also in this story. I think it was so special. She actually talks about this in the opening chapter. Yeah. She doesn't put this exact construction yeah. on it, but there's that inter-Trinitarian conversation yeah. before it's revealed to the angels, and then it's revealed to man. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I, for I, just, sure. I see that here. So now we get to 185. Totally agree. At the top. And this is, this is the big punchline for me in this whole narrative, is that Abraham lifts his hand and... and for all intents and purposes, Isaac did die, right? Like, he submitted to it. Abraham raises his hand. He's going to plunge it into the heart of this kid, were it not for the fact an angel stops him. And the fact that God, basically, Abraham experiences a resurrection without a death. Yes. Like, like that Isaac is experiencing a resurrection without a death. The because, New Testament says as much, right? Yeah. He received him in a figure from the dead. Right. And so then the response given him is, don't lay your hand on the ladder, do anything. For now I know that you fear God, since you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now, this is so, so important. Do you notice what's different here from whenever God gives the original command? Whom you love? Whom you love. And I believe an important lesson is here for Abraham and for us. There were a few things in this world that were more important to Abraham than having a son. Mm. When God shows up in Genesis 15 again and tells him, I'm your exceedingly great reward. I'm everything you've been looking for. Yeah. Abraham's response was, no, you're not. You promised me a kid and I don't have a kid. The promise of God was more important than God. 
that the promise that God had given was more important than the God who gave it. So the gift more than the giver. Yes. And in this situation, that's what God asked That's the him. definition of idolatry, by the way. It is. And God's speaking directly in this space that take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Mm. And now on the other end of God, of Abraham being willing to offer him, God now says, because you did not withhold your son, your only son from me. The part of the narrative that's yeah, missing I see what is... You're doing. I see what you're doing there. And so he is chosen now to love Isaac less than the God who gave it to him, or gave him to him. Hmm. And I think that's such an important point in this narrative, and that that is what made it an act of worship. He chose to give up what he wanted most for what mattered the most. Yeah. And that was true heaven-accepted worship. Um, and so it's called, the Lord will provide, that was the, the, the benefit... And it's on Mount Moriah, and I just want to address this briefly, that this sacrifice happens on Mount Moriah. That's the same mountain where whenever David does a census in Israel many years later, mm -hmm. and there's a plague happening, David buys Ornan's threshing floor, where the angel of the Lord is there, this angel of vengeance or whatever, and he buys Ornan's threshing floor, and he eventually, this is going to be the site where Solomon builds the temple. Right. And it's also going to be the site, the same geographic location on Mount Moriah, where Jesus will eventually die. Incredible. This is such a location of significance in this scenario. The gospel is all over this story. Correct. It's all over it. And I think that's so, so important. And so when he does offer Isaac, and but doesn't, you know, when he's going yep, to... Yep, yep. Now, what he wanted a few verse or a few uh, paragraphs earlier, when he went out and stared at the stars and wanted God to give yep, him a yep, Genesis yep. 15 response, look what God says to him right after that. By myself, this is the third paragraph. Yep. By myself, I have sworn, says the Lord, because you've done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son, blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven mm. and the sand on the seashore. In the close of that paragraph, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you obeyed my voice. Beautiful. What you wanted from Genesis 15, I'm giving you now. It's almost like the Solomonic me. thing where he says, what do you want? And yeah. then God, you know, God asks him what he wants, and he says, I just need wisdom. I don't know how to go out or come in. Yeah. And then God says, because you ask for the right thing, you're going to get everything else too. That's right. It, right, is, that, that's what you're driving at here, yeah. right? That, that, that when he elevated the giver of the gift higher even than the gift, which itself was a miraculous... Yeah, and it know, came from God. It, it came from God. a bad thing, but it became more important than the God who gave this it. This is a great point. Now, that, I like that point. I like it a lot. And, he, and then only when he got his son back, when he got God, he got the son, he got the promise yeah. in that order, right? right? He got the results of the promise. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's a great point. Yeah. And that act, the last paragraph of 185, stands like a pillar of light, illuminating the pathway of God's servants in all succeeding ages, Abraham did not seek to excuse himself from doing the will of God. And again, this is another allusion, I think, to Gethsemane. Nevertheless, as... Right. Yeah, that's it. That's got Gethsemane written on it. During that three days journey, he had sufficient time to reason and to doubt. And I love what she says next. If he was disposed to doubt. And then she basically says that this is where it is. He wrestles with the ramifications, like, I'm going to be a second Cain, she says. No one's going to believe my teachings because I'm a murderer. But he chose to do it anyway. She says he didn't take refuge in any of these excuses. And she says something here. She says he did not stop to question how the promise could be fulfilled if Isaac should be slain. Right. I would, but he doesn't. And he didn't stop to reason with his aching heart. He knew that God is just and righteous in all his requirements, and he obeyed to the very letter. So I think part of the reason that he didn't think through 
how it would all happen is that he was still he was just completely traumatized. I'll, I'll give yeah. you a good example. Yeah. I've, if I, I I take people rock climbing quite a little bit. And if you get them out in a situation where they're afraid, let's say you're down on the ground and you say, okay, which hand is your left hand? They go like that. Which hand is your right hand? They go like that. You get 100 times out of 100, adult people uh, or, or teenagers will show you, this is my right hand, this is my left hand. They know it. As soon as they get up on the wall and they're scared and they're shaking and you say, okay, uh, step your right foot up on that little ledge, they're, they're looking left. It ha I see it all the time. What yeah. happens is the brain begins, it just narrows. You get this narrowing of perception. Yeah. When you're scared, when you're traumatized, you're not thinking big picture, right. macro. You're, you can't even discern sometimes between your left hand and your right hand. So he's not in analytical thinking mode. Right. He's in survival mode. Yeah. Right. This is the God that's called him. This is the God that's asked him to do this unthinkable thing, this fearful impossibility. Mm -hmm. This is not a, he's not thinking... I mean, his whole world is ending. Yeah. It's not a time to think about, well, what if? There is no what if. His right. whole world is about ready to end. He thinks. Right. So I've seen that. I've seen that happen. I think the amygdala gets, you know, hyperactive or something. Yeah. I'm not a you know, brain expert. And then the, the, the sort of awareness just shrinks right down. And you yeah. can't even think clearly on things that you absolutely know if you weren't under duress. Right. And so one thing that you, one thing I yeah. want to highlight here is the is the use of the Abraham Abraham right. So this becomes yeah. a very important. This repetition of the name becomes extremely important in Scripture. You have Abraham Abraham and Moses Moses and Peter Peter and or Simon Simon and Jerusalem Jerusalem Saul Saul. Yeah. Very often, I would yeah. say most of the time, when Mary. you see that repetition of the name, yeah, that's right, Martha Martha. Yeah, Martha Martha. Yeah. It. It signifies that the person that is being addressed thus is in the midst of a major misunderstanding about the nature of the thing. Mm -hmm. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you think you're this, but really it's this. Mm -hmm. Saul, Saul, you think you're doing this, but really it's this. Martha, 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 Martha you think you're doing this, but really it's this. Yeah. Right? Simon, Simon, you think, but it's really this. Mm. Right? Even Moses, Moses, you think, but... It, and Abraham thinks he's about ready to provide the supreme sacrifice. Yeah. And God says, well, actually, no. Right. I don't require supreme sacrifice. I provide, I provide supreme right. sacrifice. And oh, so the yes. Abraham, Abraham is here, alerts us to the fact that the person who's being addressed thus is in the midst of a major misunderstanding about the nature of the situation. That's so good. It's a good one. Yeah, I love that. Um, we're you got okay. I'm, I'm right toward the end here. The, yeah. what, where are you at? One eighty six. One eighty six. We're close. Yeah, we're we're almost there. So one eighty six, the second to last paragraph. She says, through type and promise, and I love this. Type and promise, God preached the gospel to Abraham. And a few sentences down, the ram offered in place of Isaac represented the Son of God, mm. who was sacrificed in our stead. When man was doomed to death by transgression of the law of God, the father looking upon his son said to the sinner, Live, I found a ransom. Hallelujah. And this is an interesting point in the next paragraph. It was to impress Abraham's mind with the reality of the gospel, Correct. as well as to test his faith that God commanded him to slay his son. And she says, The agony which he endured during the dark days of that fearful trial was permitted that he might understand from his own experience Something of the greatness of the sacrifice made by the infinite God for man's redemption. Yeah, something. And yeah, just a shadow of a shadow of right. a shadow of it, but something. But I want to I highlight reality and experience here. We had a class this week at, at CORE. I almost said Arise. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> that was 11 years ago. But yeah. anyway, um, at CORE, 
where John Kent was talking about this, how, the, how memory works. He was talking specifically about episodic memory. Mm. And then when you have traumatic experiences and difficult experiences, the only way that that memory can be dealt with and you can actually move on from that is by a greater experience. Information doesn't change episodic memory and the wounds and the side effects of that. It takes a greater experience mm. to, over, to kind of override it. Yeah. And she's saying this, the reality and the experience that he went through here took what he had heard theoretically in Genesis 15 other places and, you know, that your son will bless the world. Hey, that's great. Like, no, this is what I mean by that. Experientially, you giving up your son, that's what this is going to look like. Wow. And this overlapped all of his misunderstanding of how the gospel was going to work. And she said, no other test could have caused Abraham such torture of soul as did the offering of his son. And the angels couldn't interpose in this one in the next page. And there was no voice to cry, it's enough. And then she closes that the top paragraph of 187 by saying, What stronger proof can be given of the infinite compassion and love of God, he who did not spare his own son, quoting Romans 8.32, yeah. but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all, all things. things? Yeah, beautiful. That if God wasn't holding back anything, what makes you think that he's not going to give you what you need in your Christian experience? Yeah, beautiful. And so the rest of the chapter basically talks about the, the cosmic side, if you want to maybe... No, I, I, I want to go back to that paragraph okay. that you were just in there. The, this is at the bottom of page 186, 154 of the original... To me, this phrase, as well as, is so crucial. It was to impress Abraham's mind with the reality of the gospel, as well as to test his faith. So just on that phrasing, which is the more important? D. Hmm. I'm asking you. Yeah. So here it is. It was, it was, okay, this is why this happened. She's telling us. Right. It was to impress Abraham's mind with the reality of the gospel, as well as to test and his faith. And on top of God it, to commit. test his faith. So, yeah. so what's the bigger thing that God is doing here? The reality of the gospel. Correct. Yeah. So don't miss that. Yeah. Two things That's are happening true. here. There's two things that are happening. Number one, yeah. um, Abraham's faith is being tested. That's yeah. an actual thing that's happening, and it's, a, it's an important part of the story. She brings it out. We've talked a little bit, a lot about it here. But that's the secondary thing that's happening. Yeah. The main thing that's happening, as she says it, is to impress Abraham's mind with the reality of the gospel, the good yeah. news. And the reality of the gospel, again, is that God does not require supreme sacrifice. This yes. God, this deity, in yes. fact, as Abraham is going to find out, and as his descendants in particular are going to find out, there are no other deities. Right. There are only demons masquerading as deities. There's only one God the true God, the yeah. creator God, and this God does not require supreme sacrifice. He, he provides supreme sacrifice. Now, yeah. j just a word on that. And like God God showed him in, in, in verbal language in Genesis 15, but he shows him experientially correct, here. Correct, correct, yeah. already. Because yeah. the, the smoking uh, oven yeah. and, the, and the fiery uh, I'm be torn, passed through, right. that's already sort right. of... But here again... That's informational to right. use, you know, you were talking about John Kent. That's right. informational. This is experiential. Right. Right. This is one of those things that now Abraham, and she also goes on to say that part of the reason for this test was not just for Abraham's sake, it was for the angel's yeah. sake. That even the angels were having trouble, like, what? How can, really? The, and then they saw this, and they thought, no, 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 no. Right. right? And at just the moment when he's about ready to yeah. put the knife in, they go, oh. Yeah. Right. And the penny slowly begins to drop. But even here, all of this is still shadow. That's why she says to experience something of the greatness of the sacrifice made by the infinite God for man's redemption. So even here, as clear as this is to us, 
again, we have that catbird seed of hindsight looking back and saying, of course. But for the angels, it was just a further opening of the door. For Abraham, a further opening, I mean, a significant opening of the door for Abraham because he went through the experience. But the point remains that all of this is just a glimpse of a glimpse of a glimpse of a glimmer of the actual, what she calls the infinite sacrifice for man's redemption. Right. And, and, and they're, they're so interested in this, right? Whenever she makes this point that whenever they, the, um, when Isaac asks him, well, father, where is the lamb? Their immediate thought is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where is that lamb? Like what's, where's the, you mean oh. the angels? Yeah. The angels, yeah. sorry. The, yeah. the, the response yeah, yeah. is like, oh, and, and just that's where this think is. about this. Yeah. We kind of bypass we bypass this, but when the the ram is seen caught in the thicket, there is tremendous symbolism here. Yeah. First of all, it's caught in a thicket of thorns, which right in Genesis yes. itself we've seen that thistles and thorns are a direct consequence of sin. Right. Furthermore, the, the, the ram is tangled up by his horns, and for the Jewish people, and this becomes increasingly clear, especially in Exodus, the horns were symbols of power and of right. strength, which makes a lot of sense. If you see a large goat or yeah. a ram and you know, you're having this in the mating season or in what they sometimes call the rut, if they're going right. back and forth, usually, typically, the, the ram with the larger horns will be victorious. And yeah. so they came to say, oh, ram, or rather, horn is strength. Horn is power. This is why when you get to the book of Revelation, it says that Jesus has seven horns, right? right? Like he, he's, he's perfectly powerful. Now, this is what's so cool is that the ram, by his power, is tangled up with thistles and thorns. He's tangled up in sin. He, it's not that he's not capable of bursting out. I mean, the ram wasn't, but in terms of it being a representation of Jesus, Jesus is voluntarily tangling his power up yeah. with thorns and thistles. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to, to be, be sin, sin for, for us. us. Yeah. I mean, it's just absolutely remarkable. So there's the symbolism of that, which Abraham may or may not have discerned. But when that ram is taken and placed on the altar, what was abundantly clear was God is providing, not requiring supreme sacrifice. And I want to say this. I've said it in my preaching many times. There is a certain logic. There's kind of a linear logic to child sacrifice, right? And and you actually find this in the the text of Scripture. For example, in Micah chapter 6, with what shall I come before the Lord? Right With 10,000 rams, with rivers of oil, shall I give the, the fruit of my flesh for the sin of my soul? Right, if, if you have a capricious deity whose wrath needs to be assuaged or whose you know, petty uh, you know, uh, uh, whims need to be satisfied you know, for rain or whatever it might be with a sacrifice. So if I bring one animal, okay. What if I bring two? Oh, better still. Yeah. What if I bring three? The more it costs me, the, the more, more it costs me, it the more impressive it is to the yeah. deity, and therefore the more likely I am to get the thing I'm asking for. And and this point is actually made expressly in Scripture. This is the point that Mike is making, which is why he concludes in verse eight. Yeah. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you right. to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In other words. The story has never, ever, ever been about what how big of a sacrifice can I bring to God. The story is about how big of a sacrifice did God make for me. Yes. But there's a certain logic to child sacrifice. Right. This right? is what cost me the most. most. This is what cost me the most. Yeah. And at just the moment when Abraham is about ready to make the supreme sacrifice, God arrests the hand and says, that's not the gospel. Yeah. Right? He actually says it in the text. He says, do not, listen, 
He says, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. That's not how this works. And sadly, there are people today that think that the primary thing that's going on in this story, the primary thing, it's one of the things, but they think the primary thing that's going on here is just that God is testing Abraham. What what, what is God some sort of a malicious, you know, sadomasochistic masochistic God that's trying to take his covenant man, his one of his favored children, and put him through torture for torture's sake? No, 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 no. He's teaching. Yeah, he's teaching. Yeah, and he's preaching the gospel. Okay, can we do our rubric? Uh, Yeah, she basically makes the point about the angels um, and that they saw all of that. That's basically the end of chapter. So, yeah, let's uh, let's do that. Okay, so, uh, D, what for you, this is where we go down the point, the person, the prayer, the practice, and the power, the promise. Um, D, what was the point of the chapter for you? Um, that God didn't ask Abraham to make a sacrifice that he himself wasn't willing to go through. Oh, very good. Very yeah. gospel-centered. Love yeah. it. I put to open our eyes to what the gospel is and what it's not. Yeah. Okay, what do we learn about the person oh, of God man, in this man, chapter? Man. I mean... Try to limit it to, you know, (laughs) your top 25, right? right. There's so much going on here. Two sentences that come to my mind. Someone else had to make an unthinkable sacrifice of his only son whom he loved, right? His son, his only son whom he loved. And this Mm. idea came into my mind of um, someone shared something in some meetings some years ago that be prepared to love everything else less. And that's going to be one of my later points of the five that be prepared to love everything else less, that God has to be the most important thing. And it dawned on me that while that's true, and that really challenged me to be willing to love everything else less, yeah, 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 yeah. that God was willing to love you more than the experience that he had with his son, his only son mm. whom he loved. God yeah. isn't... No, that's good. The fact that it wasn't just a matter of us loving something less, God chose to love you more than what he had with Jesus. And, and this statement's made in the Spirit of Prophecy that Jesus... You said a short answer, sorry, but just the gospel's overtaking me. That this idea that Jesus did, heaven was not a place to be desired while we were lost. That's right. That they would rather risk and tear apart what they had together to ensure that we could have something so much better. And, and Jesus yeah. makes that decision in Gethsemane. Nevertheless. Yes, that's right. Right. Nevertheless. Yeah. Um, yeah, just on that, when you, when you think about the, the unwillingness of God. Well, you know, this is sometimes sort of summarized like this. People say, God would rather go to hell for you right. than be in heaven without you. Yeah. Right, that's the point. Right. Beautiful. Okay, here's what I wrote. Yahweh, I've already said it several times, Yahweh does not require supreme sacrifice. He provides it. That's the punchline. That's what we learn about Yahweh. Okay. Um, how do we pray this chapter, D? Uh, for the practical lessons from it, I put that, God, I pray that nothing would be more important to me than you, not even the promises that you've made to me. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I like that point, D. I said, Father, help me to understand and believe the true gospel and mm. not a counterfeit. Yeah. And the temptation of my carnal flesh is to incline toward a counterfeit gospel yeah. that the at the end of the day, when it all boils down, and when the dust finally settles, it really comes down to my faithfulness. Right. And God's like, yeah, no, no, it comes down to my faithfulness. That's it right. comes down to Christ's faithfulness. Your job is to believe it. That's it. Believe it. Um, D, how do we practice this chapter? Um, I think the revelation of God's love is what awakens us to be willing to lay everything on the altar. That whatever you're asking of me, that God never asks something of us without first revealing who he is. 
So like mm. in the Ten Commandments, yeah. I am the Lord your God who brought you to the land of Egypt, and here's what I'm asking of you. Yeah. Right? That that idea. So the, and we love him because he first loved His us. commands His are principle. reasonable. They're not arbitrary. We've That's talked right. quite a little bit in OT with DA up to this point about how, you know, this arbitrary uh, notion is a charge against God. It's yeah. a deception that it's not grounded in something. And if God is just capriciously or willy-nilly requiring things and commanding things and saying things that don't have this deeper undergirding purpose of revealing who he is, well, then it's just all kind of silly. Right. Right? So he reveals, then he asks. That's right. I like that. Are you ready for my practice? Yeah. You're going to laugh at this. To not take a, se- to not take a second wife, <laughs> no matter what Violetta says. <laughs> I'm sorry, babe. I'm not doing it. Oh, man. No second wives man. in the Asherick household. This far and no further. No further. <laughs> and then I also put, to meditate daily on God's infinite compassion, love, and sacrifice. Because she uses... Right. She uses infinite to modify all of that. Infinite love, infinite sacrifice, and infinite compassion. But my first practical point is there's no Hagar's. That's very No Hagar's in my life, only a Sarah. Intensely practical. Very practical. I like to keep these things extremely practical. I appreciate that. Um, What's your promise, Dee? That the faith of Jesus that Abraham received can also be mine. Yes. Um, That his willingness to lay everything on the altar even though it would cost him things that his flesh would rather not. Um, That same faith of Jesus to press through the barriers, to press through the silence of God and not understanding what's Mm. going on, to just rest. And she says this about the faith of Jesus uh, in the Desire of Ages, that Jesus rested in the Father's love that had heretofore been revealed to him. And that's what Abraham leaned on. She actually says that in this chapter, that he basically leaned on that. So the same faith of Jesus that was given to Abraham can be given to us. We go forward into the unknown with a backpack full of the known. Right. Right. Like we we yeah. God has led us thus far. I love that. And so we're gonna go forward with what we have. Yeah. By the way, I've I've already recommended an Andrew Peterson song before, yeah. Cain and Bound. Another incredible Andrew Peterson song about this. I listened to it twice today. Holy is, is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. Yeah. Uh, you'll wanna you'll wanna download that song and listen to it. Andrew Peterson, Holy is the Lord. The, the opening line of the song is, wake up little Isaac and rub your tired eyes, yeah. right? Go and kiss your mom, we'll be gone a little while. I mean, it tells the story mm. of, of the journey to Mount Moriah and the near sacrifice of Isaac. And there's this, the punchline of the song is where he says, he says, maker of this mountain, please Make another, another way. way. Which is again an allusion to... Oh, I just got chills when I said that. Me too, Whoa. actually. Yeah. Wow, I just got really chilled when I said that. That was a total Holy Spirit moment right yeah. there. Um, so, so for me, what I wrote down as the promise is God will provide a lamb himself. I do not provide the lamb. I receive and believe yeah. God's lamb. That's it. Now, I am just absolutely dying to know what your... Uh, somebody's asking what the song is. The song is called Holy, Holy is the Lord. Is the Lord. Yeah. By Andrew Peterson and man, when it comes in with that whoa, you know the, those yeah, yeah. like those like that chorus, yeah. that that whoa whoa, it's just yeah. it's dark and it's yeah. Oh, you have to you have yeah. to listen to it, and the louder you listen to it, the better. The, 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 <laughs> turn the volume up to eleven. I mean, just do it. Okay, so here's our words. <laughs> this is spinal tap. Illusion. Yeah, yeah. Just turn it way up. Um, so we've got loyal. Yep. Okay. Uh, provide. Okay, yeah. perpetually. That's a good one. That was almost my word. Yeah, same. That was almost provide. That yeah. was almost your word. That provision was almost my was word. Provision was going to be mine. Yeah. 
Because you have the Jehovah Jireh thing, right? right. God provides. So Obedience, Jehovah Jireh. Ransom lamb. I'll be so surprised if somebody has my word. I will be Submission, blown faith, away. Submission. Sacrifice. Faith. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Those are that's good. That's great. Right. Of course. Gospel. Yeah. Gospel. Provide. Provide. Fidelity. That's my doctor. I say that every time. <laughs> I always have to point it out. Michelle says provide. Obedience. Promise. Cassandra says promise. What is that one there? Teaching. Michelle says, oh, teach. I, I like that. I begged That's for very similar to the direction I'm going. I begged for clemency to have more than one word. No, no, no. Pope Asherick would Manhood, give me none. tensions, trust, faithful, agony, provide, reinstate, trust. Have Sacrifice. you seen your word yet? Don't say it, but have you seen it? No. No, I haven't seen mine either. Champion. Oh, champion. That's interesting. All right. Refine. Offering, refine. I'd, I'd love to understand that champion thing. Faith. Kendra Jiren. says, love. Gyra. Excruciating. I almost put how hard it was. Excruciating is good. That word yeah. literally means out of the cross. Yield. What was yesterday's word? By oh, the yesterday's way, word, you, you my, wanted to make an, an Oh, agenda. yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me say this. I'm actually changing my word yesterday. My word was family, but I actually think the word father captures what I was driving at better. Silence is another good yeah, one. Yeah, silence is a great one. Great. Patience. The silence of God. Lead, lessons. lessons. So I'm changing my word yesterday to father because of that fatherly way, and, yeah. and Abraham was a father to his encampment. And, and, and the irony the of it is that he himself wasn't yet a father, right. but he was fatherly. Right. And uh, so I'm changing yesterday's word to father, but it was family. And it set the tone for today's chapter two. Very much so. Yeah. Test, endure, patience. Sacrifice. You like words with double meaning. Sacrifice. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, you're going to love my word today, Jim. You're going to love it. And nobody's had it yet. Have you seen your word yet? No. Trust. Wow. Trust. Overcomer. Okay. Champion as a verb. Oh, champion as a verb. So to champion... You're still going to have to work with me here. I need some more. Uh, himself. Could you use it in a sentence? Yeah, use it in a sentence. Patriarch. Patriarch. Yeah, that, was, that would have been a really good one for Submission. yesterday as well. Okay, D, I'm going to guess. Let me try to guess what your word is. Your word is... Did you look at my book? No, no, I did not. Promise. I promise. I, I promise. Pinky promise. All right. Your word is... Have you used it quite a little bit in our conversation? I did not. You haven't even used it. I, I did talk about it, but I didn't use it like prolifically like yesterday. I, I have, I'm going to say your word is um, infinite. I'm just, I'm just totally no. stabbing in the dark here. Worship. Oh, worship. Of course. Yeah. The lad and I will go up and worship. Yeah. Okay, this, explain it to this us. Ultimate hey, sacrifice. I saw the word worship on there. I did not. Yeah, I think somebody had it. Um, oh, Abraham was a champion of faith. Okay, uh -huh. got it, okay. got it, got it, got it. Um, that this was the ultimate act of worship for him to take everything that mattered most to him and let God have total control. like that, Because that, that's what happens at the end. You know, your, whom you love was removed mm. because of this true act of worship. I struggle with this. I wanted multiple words, and he wouldn't let me. So that, <laughs> that's the best I've got. That's the best um, I can offer. Yeah, worship's a good word. Yeah. It's a great word. And here's a really cool thought about that word. God is worshipable, right? Right. Worship. Yeah, he's yeah. worshipable precisely because he would never require this kind of thing yeah. as an act of worship. That's right. I've sometimes heard people say, well, what would you do if, you know, preachers, what would you do if God impressed you to sacrifice your son? Would you do it? And, and the congregation is almost being baited into saying, well, yeah, of course, I would have the, would you have the faith of Abraham? Friends, let me explain something to you. Living like we do now, 
after the death, burial, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, if you ever get any impression to kill anything or anyone, including and especially your son as a sacrifice, the answer is that's from Satan. We know it is now because this was, again, heading in a direction to reveal the gospel. And with the catbird seat of hindsight, we know that cannot be from God, full stop. And there are people that have these like delusions of grandeur. Only, what do you got? Someone had only, as in only son. Oh, that's a good word. That's I never good. saw my word. Yeah. You got a guess as to what it is? I'll give you a hint. Oh, yeah. I used it a ton, and it's only three letters. I don't remember anything you said tonight. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm still dreaming about that hike. I don't even know. What, three letters? It's only three letters, and it's in the, it's in the main text. You want me to read it to you? You'll, yeah. you'll see it immediately. Okay. You ready? See if you can guess my word. Son, that's a good guess. Yeah. That's not it. One, that's also a good guess. That's not it. And it's not it. Are you ready? I'm going to yeah. read it to you. This is Genesis chapter 22, verse 12. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son from me, your only son. Is it? Is it? Is it lad? It's not. I don't know. It's not. Yeah. My word is not. And the oh. reason it's not is for two uh, reasons. Number one, he says, don't not. Yeah. This is not the gospel. In the original language, is it a double? I think it's, I think it's, don't, don't. Yeah, it's double um, negative, right? But, and then the second thing I like about it is, is that it actually gets the, so that's the main thing. Again, yeah. for me in this story, the sun is, this is not the gospel. Yeah. But the moon is, that Abraham was faithful, even with his misunderstandings and his, yeah. you know, uh, the culture and climate in which he lived. Even there, he adds in the second knot. Now that I have seen that you have not withheld your only son from me, what the gospel is not exactly. Yeah. So this is not the gospel, but it's also still a beautiful thing because that you, you did, did not withhold, withhold your son from me. And so that's my word. This is not the gospel, and well, that will really help me to remember what the gospel is and then what it's not. I love that. Okay, hope you guys enjoyed that. That was a great session. Tomorrow, what are we doing tomorrow? Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Chapter 14 tomorrow will be same time, same place, 7 o'clock, mountain time. We hope you enjoyed that. I think you opened with prayer? I did. You opened and so I'll close. Yep. Father in heaven, what a blessing for us to have this story. Lord, where would we be with, mm. without scripture? Yes. Where would we be without these formative, transformative stories that not only inform us theologically and intellectually, but Father, they, they invite us to enter in experientially mm-hmm. to, the, to the stories and into the feelings and the emotions of people that were going through things that are, un, at least in this case, unthinkable. Mm-hmm. And Lord, we want to thank you for what the gospel is, and we really want to thank you for what the gospel is not. And Father, as Dee has said repeatedly here tonight, teach us how to love the gift, the giver, more than the gift, and to value the promise giver more than the promise. And uh, Lord, this has been a great blessing. Mm. Uh, Also, the supplemental session earlier today was such a wonderful blessing. We place our lives into your hands, and we pray that we would go forward from from this chapter and from this session uh, being mindful that you're not the one that requires supreme Mm. sacrifice. You provide it. Amen. And Father, we pray in the name of that supreme sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.